Amen. Man, the day has been great. Just the singing and uh, preaching and fellowship with everyone. It's, it's been a wonderful day. And I'm uh, so glad that you are here again and uh, keeping your appointment with the Lord. And uh, thank you for the prayers. And please remember uh, Pastor Mazingham and their family. Is there a way in Oklahoma and ministering to uh, Bible Baptist Church there in Stillwater and uh, where Pastor was for many years in evangelism and that was his home church and so he's been able to go back and connect and uh, I'm so glad for that. Glad I get an opportunity to preach tonight and so if you would take your Bibles and uh, let's go to Mark chapter 10 this evening. Mark chapter 10 and I was when we were in choir practice I was thinking the song that the choir sang for the special I was thinking man this would be a great special for tonight and then Brother Autry said uh, we're going to sing this tonight. And I was, I was happy about that because um, it went, I don't know, I think it goes along with the sermon. You may not think so, but I was just, the things are on my heart and my mind. I was like, oh, this is great. So I'm thankful for the Lord uh, just putting those things together, aligning that, that stuff up. He's so good to uh, be so gracious to us. And, and so once you find uh, Mark chapter 10, we're starting with verse 32 of Mark chapter 10. Would you go ahead and stand uh, for the reading of the word and uh, we'll get started this evening here. The disciples are making their last trip to Jerusalem with Jesus. And uh, he is explaining that to them here in this text. And then as they are continuing together in this part of Scripture, uh, Jesus uses, uh, they, they kind of reveal their heart in the conversation that they have and, and their response to um, John and James, and he uses this to teach them uh, once again about humble servanthood or just being a humble leader, a servant leader. Uh, we sang about that in the choir special about Jesus giving his life uh, for us and laying his life down for us. And in the song, we in turn give our lives right back to him. He gave his all, we give our all. That's kind of the thrust of the song, and it's a beautiful song. But let's look at verse 32 of Mark chapter 10. And they were in the way going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes. And they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. And they shall mock him and shall scourge him and shall spit upon him and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we, whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, what would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, 
And with the baptism that I am baptized with all shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be the great among you, or who will be great among you, shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be the servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. Lord, thank you for the word, the truth. And Lord, thank you for your wonderful example in Scripture. And Lord, I pray that this would be a a lesson for each of us tonight. Lord, many here serve and serve faithfully, attend faithfully. And Lord, I pray you would help our hearts stay rooted and grounded in dependency upon you. 100%. Lord, we can drift and put our dependence in other things, ourselves. Lord, maybe we're looking for recognition. Maybe we're adopting the culture's way of doing things and accomplishing tasks. Lord, I pray that we would approach ministry as you are teaching us in this scripture tonight. Lord, would you help us, I pray, help our church. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Thank you, and please be seated. Wasn't sure what to title this sermon. Maybe it's just a question. How much can we give? How much can we give? We see in the beginning that they're going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus is with them, and they're listening to him tell them once again what's going to happen to him. He had told them more than once, and as in, in the Gospel of Luke, it says that as Jesus was telling them about everything that, were, that was written by the prophets concerning the Son, Son of Man, that they still couldn't grasp the truth. They, they really didn't understand all that He was trying to uh, instruct them in. And so I believe that's why the Scripture says they were first amazed and then afraid, because as they're walking, Jesus is telling them of His certain death. He's walking to Jerusalem and in Almost everywhere in Israel, if you're going to Jerusalem, it's an uphill travel. So they're, they're going up to Jerusalem no matter what direction you come from. Uh, you're always going to go uphill to Jerusalem. But he was facing certain death. And, and it's, Jesus is so resolute in his instruction. He's not wavering as he's telling them what's going to happen. It reminds us in Isaiah Chapter 50, verse 7, For the Lord God will help me, therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. Jesus had set his sights on Jerusalem. He'd set his sight on a certain direction because that was the Father's will for him. And no doubt this amazed the disciples, but then they probably thought, well, if they're going to kill Jesus, they're going to kill me too? Are they going to come after me? The chief scribes and Pharisees, as the, the ones who, um, the priest, as the scripture tells us, the, the chief priests and the scribes and the religious organization there had much sway and much power. They convinced Pilate to put him to death. They incited a mob to put Jesus to death. They had influence, the wrong kind, but they had influence. And so the disciples no doubt knew this. 
but it's their last time. And in fact, in Luke, it tells us that all the things that were written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. So Jesus is rehearsing with them again all that's going to happen to him that the, that the people before the prophets had written. In verse 33, we see um, that he is very specific in what's going to happen. He tells them who, is going to, uh, who, who he's going to be handed over to. And isn't it sad that the, the, the greatest uh, division of people, at, and it's still the same today, you're either a Jew or a Gentile, the people that Jesus came to save are now going to work together to bring him to death. They're going to crucify the Lord of glory. He begins to tell them that they're going to mock him. As we see in verse 33, they shall be delivered into the chief priests and to the scribes. They'll condemn him to death. They'll deliver him to the Gentiles and they'll mock him. Psalm 22, verse 7 says, All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head. He tells them also in verse 34 that they shall scourge him. Isaiah 50, verse 6, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Again, he tells them they shall kill him. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet, for he was cut off out of the land of the living. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. You see, this greatest servant of all was crucified. John 5, 18 tells us, Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him. Because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. They accused Jesus Christ of blasphemy. So why? Why would Jesus endure such mockery, such scourging, such ridicule? Well, God is a holy God. And we heard from Brother Cherry this morning that in the search of, that Jesus took on for you and I, he is a holy God, and sin separates us from a holy God. We can't have intimacy with Him. We can't enter into His presence. Uh, we can't enjoy fellowship with Him. We, we have no communication. We're, we are cut off from God because of sin. And, and sin requires judgment. There's not a sin that, that, is, that has ever been committed by man that God is a righteous judge. God is not the judges that we are familiar with in our land and other places where they wink at wrongdoing. Uh, the, the guilty seem to get off free. The, the people that seem to do right are the ones who are punished and the ones who are doing wrong seem to be the ones who walk all the time. God is not that kind of judge. God is righteous and He is right and He is loving and He deals with sin as a righteous God should. And so if a person dies separated from God, the judgment is for eternity in a place called hell. Sin will be dealt with in this life or in eternity. And it's a powerful truth that God poured out. If you want to see the reality of sin, how does God view sin? What is God's thought, view, how does he deal with sin? You look at the Lord Jesus Christ right there in verse 34 tells us what Jesus endured because of sin. 
God had to deal with the sin of mankind. And so the Bible tells us that, that all of sin, all of man's sin were laid to the account of Jesus Christ. And he went to the cross. He took my sin. He took your sin. And God unleashed his wrath on his own son. But it doesn't end there. And the third day he shall rise again. So Jesus Christ took our sin. He experienced death, hell, and the grave. And he rose victorious. He defeated death. He defeated sin. He willingly laid down. He willingly took punishment. He willingly took our hell. So that in this life, we can cast our dependence upon him for salvation. We can have our sins forgiven. All sins, past, present, and future sins are forgiven by God to the person who puts their trust, their faith, their dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ in this life. That's, that's the Jesus we're looking at in Mark 10. Listen, today, if we, we spent some time in the lobby with a, a man and just asking him a, uh, about his eternity and wasn't quite ready to sit down and, and, and go through the scriptures. So I gave him a tract and I asked, I said, do you read well? And he said, uh, and I was thankful for his honesty. And I gave him the, the little card that pastor put together because um, it's, it's not good works. It's not a person's baptism. You can be baptized, you can be sprinkled, and you can, you can do all the good works. But dear friend, for eternal life, to, be, to have sins forgiven, to be in heaven with God forever, to be on this earth, to experience victory in life, to experience abundant living. It's through salvation. It's through Christ. It's through, it's agreeing with God, I'm a sinner, I deserve hell. Would you save me from my sin? And Jesus Christ wants to do that for you today. I, we're going to have a little more time in the preaching service, but at the end of the service, if, if anyone here, if there's any doubt in your mind, maybe someone's never sat down with you and just opened the Bible and, it, and just it walked through just simple but profound Bible truths on how to have eternal life. Let someone do that with you today or let us give you some tract or, or, or something. Let us put something in your hand that you can go home and, and listen and read and know how to be saved. We, we, we don't want anyone to leave here. It would be a tragedy if you come here and enjoy time with Canaan Baptist Church, but your eternity is in question. And so uh, please know that's our heartbeat. We want to help you know intimately the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's why verse 34 is there, is to show that the sin of mankind was dealt with. Jesus knows our sin intimately because he took it upon himself and died because of it. Then James and John, dear, dear brothers, and here, here's what they really ask. Hey, Jesus, uh, so after you die, can we sit with you? It's almost like the little brother who's kind of a, punk and he looks at his older brother and says hey when you go off to college can I have your room and I don't mean to make light of the situation but that's as it's couched in scripture that's almost he's he's telling them 
They're, they're, they're amazed. They're afraid. They're listening to this powerful instruction, this rehearsal of what's going to happen to, to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And James and John come and says, Master, we, we ask that whatever we ask of you, would you give it to us? And we can be hard on the disciples in one hand and say they are still thinking of the Messiah and his earthly reign. Or we could be on the other hand and say, you know, they really were taking God at his word of you, you ask and you'll receive. You, you search for it, it'll be given to you. You knock and it'll be open to you. And so I'm not really sure where to land, to be honest with you on this, but it just seems that they're, they're selfish in, in my, my humble opinion, they're selfish in their question. Or maybe not. <laughs> but this, this, this exchange helps us understand the disciples, and then later on it's going to reveal the hearts of really the entire group. And that's where I think the, the instruction really comes for us as a church and as a believer. Because Jesus tells them, he says, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink of? Can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? Jesus is saying this cup is, it's not the sort of cup that's going to be filled overflowing with joy. No, this is the cup of judgment that's going to come upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The sin of the world is going to be put upon him. This baptism is, is not the baptism that would follow a baptism of repentance, maybe like John the Baptist or the baptism that follows out of after someone being saved. It's a baptism of death. He's going to be overwhelmed with death. So in, in the response, Jesus is telling James and John, listen, if you're going to continue to follow me, here's what you'll receive. A cross, a cup of judgment, a baptism of death. Those are the symbols that Jesus is trying to give to James. And, and the scriptures tell the rest of the story. James was the first apostle to be martyred. And John, likely the last apostle to die was bitterly persecuted and so if we were to look back upon the life of James and John no doubt they would have matured since this conversation and realized that the true honor was not in where they were seated but the fact that they had the privilege to suffer as their savior suffered to see their savior be glorified in their suffering for them together to be glorified together in the heavenly places with their Messiah. That's the true place of honor, not necessarily a throne, although we know Scripture tells us that, that they would be seated in 12 thrones ruling. But their, their focus is off. They're not, they're not seeing things right. In fact, the Scriptures tell us that when the ten heard it, they heard this exchange between James and John and Jesus that they were much displeased. Another gospel tells us that they were indignant, probably because it revealed the rival that was between the disciples. Maybe the other ten wanted the same place with Jesus. Maybe they were just afraid to ask or didn't know how to ask. But it sees that Jesus sees the displeasure in the other disciples and he speaks to them about their ambitions. And so this, this important lesson is for us on humility and being a servant. He goes on to tell them, and Jesus calls them to him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are counted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, 
and their great ones exercise authority upon them. Jesus is telling them those in this world who have titles and names and powers will use their subjects beneath them to accomplish their will and their mission. It, it, it would be a, a mindset of how can I use these people to get done what I want done? Rarely would we see a mindset of what can I do for them instead of what can they do for me? So the disciples were really desiring for a position and status. And they really hadn't truly understood the nature of Jesus in respect to leadership and power. And it can happen today in, in churches. And others would lord over others, church leadership, church authority. And they still, if, peop, if this is happening, someone lording over another, we still don't understand the Jesus style of leadership in life. Because he, tell, he rebukes them and says, But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. The church of Jesus Christ doesn't operate the same way our society or our culture does. He tells them that whoever is going to be great will be a minister. And this word minister is diakonos. It's where we get the word deacon. It has several meanings that are, that are quite fitting. Diakonos. One that raises the dust by his hastening. One who executes the commands of another. The servant of a king. Those who advance others' interests, even at the sacrifice of their own. The word deacon here would mean the one who cares for the poor and distributes money to them. You know, it was once upon a time that the government was not the organization that provided the financial needs for the poor and the needy. It was churches that would give. People would come to a church to find their needs met. Diakonos can also mean a waiter, someone of waiting on someone to give food or drink. And so this is where we see the challenge. How much can you give? In verse 44, it says, And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be the servant of all. So Jesus is telling them, you're to be ministers. You're to be those who are advancing the interests of others at your own sacrifice. The people that I place under your care, you're to treat them as sheep under the care of a good shepherd. You're to feed them. You're to tend to them. You're to serve them. They're not horses harnessed to a chariot under the control of a driver who beats them and drives them trying to get every dollar that he paid for them. The disciples, if they try to become chief leaders in a way unlike Jesus, the culture's way or a self-strategy, they'll be looked upon as mean and contemptible men. You know, the Bible teaches us that if we exalt ourselves, we'll be brought low. For someone to be great, as Jesus defines great, we're to do good to everyone. We're to perform the lowest task, the most menial task. This morning in our Sunday school lesson, we saw where Moses, the, a, a prince or a person of affluence in the house of Pharaoh. And no doubt this was by God's design, but we find him tending sheep on the backside of the desert. A very menial task. Labor, uh, deacons, ministers labor 
at the most difficult of services, knowing that not only is there honor in heaven for a servant like this, but there's honor now to be considered fit for the ministry. The honor alone really is simply to be in God's service. And as the disciples are listening to Jesus, it very well might be that they didn't understand. How can this life of service even be possible? Maybe you're thinking the same thing. How, how can giving so much of myself to someone else is even possible? I'm busy. I got a job. I have a family. I work 60 hours a week. I do come to church and I'm here and I'm in my place, but it sounds like you're asking me to give more. Is that really what we're talking about? Well, Jesus answers the question by pointing to himself. Verse 45, it says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. It might be defined as doing more. But even talking with pastor about leadership and service, oftentimes doing more is what we may think of because it makes us feel good. I can do this. I can do more. I can do this better. And really, oftentimes it might simply be making yourself available to just be with God, to spend time with the Lord, to spend time in prayer, to spend extended times with Him. It does involve work, but oftentimes it involves just being. We're human beings, not human doings. But Jesus shows His submission to the Father's will. The Son of Man shows His submission by facing the greatest hardship ever. He honors God in every way, bringing glory to God. Jesus takes the form of a servant. He comes not to, he comes, uh, not to be ministered unto, but to minister to others. He washed the feet of his disciples. He fed multitudes. He healed the sick. He was a friend to outcasts. He cast out demons. He prayed for his disciples. He laid down his life to save men. Jesus was obedient unto death. He went down to the grave. He gave his life a ransom for many. He did this to benefit others. So how do we serve Christ? Well, we give our life to Him. And the way we give our life to Him is to give our life to others. I'd like for us to look at some qualities here of this life to benefit others, living to benefit others. You know, some, some key truths, I'm not sure what, in, some of them call this a, a, a mantra, not a mantra, but maybe a maxim or a principle. To give all is to get all. The way up is down. And humble servants rejoice in this kind of service. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's look over there, 1 Corinthians Chapter 1 and verse 26. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and verse 26. Servants rejoice in this kind of service. And the first area that 
servants rejoice in is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. The Bible tells us, For ye seeing your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised, God hath chosen. Yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. That no flesh should glory in His presence, but of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That according as it is written, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. You know, servants rejoice that it truly is God who gets all the credit. They're grateful that God would even use them at all. You're there in 1 Corinthians. Turn over to chapter 4. Probably a page or two over. Chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory? As if thou hast not received it. Another area that humble Christ-like servants rejoice is that they happily admit that everything they have comes from God. And that there's no reason to boast in themselves. If you would, we'll make a, a longer trip over to the book of James. We'll move quickly through this because I know there's hot cocoa out there. James chapter 4 and verse 13. Now I'm going to, actually I'm going to look at just verse 15. The, James 4, 13 through 17 um, cautions us about making plans and, and being somewhat arrogant because it reminds us that our life is a vapor, that it's so short. But in verse 15 it tells us this, For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Another area that servants rejoice in is that they rest in God's sovereignty. They are 100% secure that God is 100% control of their life and their events. They're not, they're not um, unsettled by that. And that if life takes a hard turn, although it may be painful, they rest in God's sovereignty. They rest in God's will. And they look at God's will knowing that it's up to, it's up to God on what I do. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That's really the essence of verse 15 in James chapter 4. Another, another scripture we'll look at is Colossians chapter 3. You make a left-hand turn from James. Go to Colossians. We're almost done there. We got this one and one more. Colossians chapter 3. Verses 12 through 13. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, 
kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Servants rejoice that their humility is rooted in the gospel of Christ, who died for their sins. They truly believed they were as sinful as God said they were and needed saving. We can forgive others because of what we were forgiven. That's how dependent we are on God. And lastly, we're going to look at the, in Philippians chapter 2. One book to your left. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. There's probably people that could quote these verses. They're very familiar to us. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man in his own things, but every man also in the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Humble servants give themselves away to everyone. They're not looking to be served. They're willing to serve. And lastly, we've already looked at these scriptures in Mark chapter 10, that humble servants with great conviction are glad to be counted as great ones because of their service to the Lord Jesus Christ. So just quickly, how do we apply these truths? Again, we're looking at the disciples. They're with Jesus. James and John seemingly ask a very hard question. And they're, like I said, they're either asking Jesus, truly taking him at his word. They're wanting to rule with him. They're wanting to be with him. Or maybe their sights are off center and they're being selfish and they're asking. Either way, we learn a lesson. But as they have that conversation, the rest of the, the other ten, it reveals in their heart the rivalry that exists between the servant, the disciples of Jesus Christ. They're, they're, they're angry that someone would be so bold as to ask to be so close to the Savior. I personally look at it and say, how could you be so bold to ask after he just told you he's going to die in a few days? Sounds like something I probably would ask, <laughs> foot in mouth. <laughs> but how do we apply these truths? If we're to give all in order to get all, if the way up is truly the way down, how do we give ourselves to Jesus? How, how do we give ourselves away? I, I really want to know. What does it look like? Help me make some practical steps. One is I believe our service must be intentional. We really have to notice the needs of others. And I don't think that happens by accident. It's, we're burdened for somebody else. We're truly wanting this other person to move forward in their life. We see a need. We see the hurt. We know they don't have a job. We know they don't have money. We know they're struggling at home with something. But we don't do anything. Me included. Maybe that's a marker too far for you and I to reach out to. But here's something simple, but profound, but it would mean a lot. Hey, you see people at church you don't recognize? 
Now, shame on you if you've been here a while and you don't know their name. And they might be a member, okay? But <laughs> you see someone you don't recognize? Introduce yourself. Find out their name. You give them your name. Make them feel welcome to Canaan Baptist Church. And I know you do that. Continue to do that. How about someone you haven't seen in a while? And we may think about that, but let's take it a step further. Let's, let's call them. Maybe let's make a visit. And if there's any question, you can call the church office. You can talk to pastor and say, hey, I think I'd like to go see this person. Is there anyone else going? Is there something I can do to help them? Let people know you're praying for them. Uh, you can help volunteer almost every church event. There's probably a gap that we just couldn't fill. You're always welcome to volunteer and help out. These are ways you can give yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ through others. How about maybe writing pastor a note and thanking him for the ministry in your life? He preaches a lot of messages day in and day out that help us. And oftentimes we're thankful and may not get a chance to express that to him or other members of the staff just for their role. But thank them. Write notes to those who serve behind the scenes. Thank them for their service. These are just simple ways that maybe are low-hanging fruit for some. Others, we've been challenged regularly um, in our teachers' meeting uh, just to go further in our, in our ministry to people, go further in our discipleship. Listen, people, people do need the Lord, but we're not an island. We are a church, and people need you. You're here because other people need you, and you need other people. And I would encourage you, if you notice someone trying to minister to you, let them. Embrace that. Let them. Let them serve you. Now, we, had, we think of Paul, or we think of Peter, and when Peter was getting his feet washed. But really, I think Peter was maybe struggling that someone was actually ministering to him. And so let people minister to you. Let them serve you. It's what they want to do. As I close, I think about the Apostle Paul, who was motivated to serve God. He gave up everything and surrendered his life because of Jesus Christ who saved him. We didn't, look, we didn't read it, but in, first, uh, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul really sums up, I think, his life of surrender. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. This was his life's calling. If, I believe if the Apostle Paul would have been called to do anything else other than what we know him for, I believe this still would have been his life's mission statement, his life's motto. He was called to live for Christ and to gain everything through his death. Listen, Paul's journeys were filled with danger. He rarely had enough money. He endured bitter cold. He was in prison for long months. He was rarely honored for what he accomplished or endured. No one would have counted his life a success. But dear friend, should God's children do any less? As you think about this, what would stop you and me from serving God after he has given his son to save us? You know, people give their lives for a lot of different things. They give their lives for their country. They give their lives to seek cure of a disease. People give their lives to end thirst, to end poverty. 
what we give our lives to is what we value most. And I think the lesson here is not a urging for you to do more, but maybe let's stay grounded and rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ as we serve Him and as we serve together. We don't want to be like the, the apostles and start to adapt a different way of ministering to one another or, or to have a rebuke from, from Jesus Christ to say, hey, listen, what I see among you is not supposed to be there. Let's stay rooted and grounded in Christ. That's where our humility is rooted in the gospel. Listen, there's nothing wrong with seeking greatness, but let's seek the right kind of greatness, and that is to be like Jesus Christ, who was the servant of all. God honors the lowly, not the lofty. And this week, as we serve Christ, let's look in how we can serve others. Let's look at how we can respond to what Jesus Christ is telling us. There are opportunities all around us. Will we humble ourselves? Will we follow in the steps of Jesus? Will we work to meet the needs of others? Let's stand to our feet this evening and uh, pause for a moment of invitation. Listen, there are many here that, that serve Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Opsat, Academy, music, uh, more music, piano, violin. I mean, we, we have a lot of people with their hands at the plow. And dear friends, we need, we need to be rooted in Christ. We need the dependence upon Him. We can get so busy and our focus can be off of Him and on ourselves. And we can get bitter. We can start to look at the other disciples and wondering what they're doing and what they're thinking. And dear friend, that would be an opportunity for Satan to cause disunity in our church. And pastors encourage us already with this time of year, the Christmas season, this month of December, to, to be purposeful in all that we do here as a church. Our times together, our worship, our events on the calendar. And so... I, I pray that you're not looking to do more, but you're looking to see more. See more of Christ in all that we do. See more of Christ in all that we have at Canaan Baptist Church. So as Luigi plays, would you come and respond to the Lord Jesus Christ?